Episode 51 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. An interview with Bart Yeso. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 51 of Fitness Behaviour, your fortnightly podcast on all the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Yep, that's right, it's now official, the show is going to be a fortnightly podcast, it's been monthly since, let me have a look at the date of the first show we ever did. So the first show came out in 2010, in September 2010, so we're nearly going for five years, which is crazy when you think about it. Um kind of blows my mind away but uh, recently I've talked to you a lot about on this show how we're going to make some changes and I want to get more content out there and really fundamentally what's to change well I'm going to get a lot more interviews on the show and uh, as I was saying at the end of last month's show or the show I released a couple of weeks ago is I'm going to kind of have two formats one week well one show will be a um, an interview show and then the next show will be your traditional fitness behaviour it's kind of me just digging deep into thoughts and big ideas that can help you really look at a different way at looking at your exercise all around that kind of behavioural side of exercise. So today I'm actually going to start with an interview. We're going to interview on today's show with a guy called Bart Yeso. Now Bart Yeso is, if you're in the running world, you'll know, you'll probably know about Yeso. He's a big kind of contributor and worker at Runner's World magazine, which is pretty much the bible of running, running world magazine, cheapest creepers. I can't imagine anybody who's into any type of exercise wouldn't have been to at least their website or heard of their magazine. And Bart's been involved in that business since 1987. So... He's uh yeah he's got some pretty some pretty interesting thoughts around exercise. So I sit down with him. We talk for about maybe 40, 50 minutes. And I just you know with these interviews, I'm trying to think of trying to get different people who fundamentally have a love of exercise and what they can share. Maybe different ideas. Um, I'll try to get some intellectual types, some people who are just doing great work, and maybe some people who have inspired me through exercise. So in today's show, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to put that interview on in a few minutes. Um, there's a couple of things to talk about before. I dig deep and we'll get that interview on. The first thing is, I've now created a way that you can help contribute to the show. So Fitness Behaviour is a show, or pretty much all my content really comes out free to the world. I don't really necessarily do paid products. Uh, maybe I will eventually, but I've tried to stay away from that because I kind of just want to help people. And I think that if you put a wall up around yourself that people have to pay to get into you can't help as many people and so for me I've always chosen the free option around what I'm doing and uh which is which is cool uh but it does kind of limit the you know the financial side of the show and for me fortunately you know that outside of my content creation I've been able to survive on the well not survive but you know make a living from the other areas but it would be nice to be able to get some support for the work that I'm doing with the show and ultimately I want to put more time into the show that I can do better work and be able to help people achieve, you know, get more people. Also I'd like to be able to do things like be able to advertise the show, to build a bigger audience, um, to look at different ways of expanding what I'm doing and seeing what I could do from that moving forward. So what I've done is there's a, there's a website called patreon.com and it's a website where you have the ability to be able to support content creators who you like their work of and what you do is you go to there'll be a link that I'll put in today's show notes patron.com slash Bevan James Isles and um, you go in there and you can just donate to the podcast 
And how it works is you just basically can choose to donate how much money, it can be a dollar, it can be you know, $10 million. I'd love it if you did that, <laughs> highly unlikely, but you know, you've got a dream. Um, and uh, you just donate a certain amount of money to each show. And every time I release a show, you'll just donate to that to the podcast. Now, now the show is going to be fortnightly, so pretty much twice a month you'll contribute to the show. Uh, if you do become a patron of the show, I'll I'll name you on the show. I'll kind of maybe even give you a nickname. That's one thing we do on our other podcast is we give you nicknames. And so I might give you fitness behavior nicknames. So if you become a patron of the show I'll give you a nickname that I'll say on the show and if you ever contribute to the show I will then um, say your name on the show as well guys it's it's just a really great way that you could support me I know I've got podcasts that I've listened to for over 10 years and I'll go and I've you know become patrons of their shows as well because I just kind of I really believe in this you know I, I really believe in quality content and in a world where there's a lot of crap content out there um I like to think, A, that hopefully I'm doing content that is quality, but B, that, you know, we've got to support the, the people who are, you know, creating that content. And it's, a, it's an interesting world when we look at content creation right now because it's such a, a moving target. And one of the ways that, you know, us on my side of the scale uh, are able to kind of make this work is through the financial support of you guys. So if you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.bevanjamesisles.com and I've got a link to the my patron page on there. Go there, there's a little bit of a kind of a shows you what's happening and all the rest of it. It's a bit of a quick video I've made and uh, you can become a patron and I really, really appreciate that support. So, and once again, I'll give you a nickname that I'll say on the show in the next episode of the show. Uh, so once again, bevanjamesos.com and patron.com for that. Now, uh, just one other thing. Um, just just before I get into the Bart interview, because Bart's interview is really good, um, but this is totally off subject. I just wrote a press piece the other day, and um, and it's another topic, a topic that I think is extremely important right now. And um, I, there's, there's kind of been this question that I've been getting asked a lot in this last period of time in my life. And um, the, the, the thing that really concerns me about this question is how often I'm being asked the question. And the question is comes from parents. And I'm getting these, a lot of parents come up to me, and, and when, I'm probably once or twice a week, I'll get a parent come up to me and ask if I can talk to their young, you know, teenage son. And when I say teenage, probably from around 15 through to 20. And... Uh, because these parents see that their sons are kind of failing and, and, and in quite big ways, you know, like drugs, alcohol, violence, um, self-destructive kind of paths. And um, and so I'm kind of, and, and as much as I can, I, I, I seem to be catching up a young man every kind of week of my life right now, as much as I can with the time that I have, I give up my time to go and, or to meet up with these kids and just have a, have a chat to them. And I think the reason the parents come to me is because I've been very open about my, you know, my struggling youth and how it was a real struggle for me and how I went down a destructive path. And fortunately for me, through some experiences, I was able to shift that around to create a life, you know, that was a much healthier life to live. And I think the parents looked to me to see, you know, that maybe their kids will see a guy like me and maybe some wisdom I can share with these kids as I move, you know, to help them maybe find a better path themselves. And, um, you know, so I sat down with these kids. I don't know, I've talked to them for like an hour or so, or kind of more listened than anything. And uh, and I don't know if I'm having a big impact or not. You kind of have these talks and you let them go. And 
they seem kind of inspired or motivated as they walk away from the conversation but you know it's a, you know one one hour of conversation with somebody doesn't necessarily change lives but I don't know maybe in the future I'll find that I have had a big impact on these kids lives but I think my real concern is is are we are our young men really struggling in the world now maybe I'm getting a perspective of it in a way that is um unrealistic because I'm in this position where people are asking me but when I sit down to talk to these kids they're, they're kind of they're really struggling and they're struggling a lot and and I kind of you know like when I wrote the piece wait a second let me pull up the piece because there was a there's just a couple of points that I when I wrote in the piece which I should probably pull up but when when I talk to these kids you kind of they they it's almost like the only way they know to deal with their stress and their struggle in life is to use destructive behaviours that they they suppress their emotions and they suppress their stress and, and their inner battles. And through that, the only way they can deal with that is through these destructive behaviours like alcohol. You know, I, I spoke to a kid the other day and he's got some charges with the police because when he gets drunk he gets violent. And he has these really unhealthy ways to deal with his personal struggle. And I'm kind of wondering, are we letting men down? Are we letting young men down? Are we not providing them with the tools that we need or that they need to be able to become healthy adults? I'm going to read a little bit from the piece I wrote. I got, why is this happening? So I kind of talked a little bit about what I've talked about now. I said, why is this happening? Is it happening because boys feel that they have to be self-reliant when it comes to their emotion? You know, is that that thing that boys, you know, just keep it all inside? I know in New Zealand there's this traditional kind of culture of men should just be tough and, you know, when you're struggling, just keep it in and figure it out. I'll, I'll go on for my piece again. Uh, do they struggle because they experience emotion and stress like everyone else, but they don't feel that they can outwardly express this? That the adults around them don't recognise their struggles and they are left to deal with them themselves internally? Maybe this is because many parents are so time poor these days, leading them to having less energy and potentially tasting, taking the easy option when tough times present themselves with their family. Is it because as a culture we still promote the real men don't cry attitude which teaches our young men that they are weak if they don't express themselves? Or is it the social expectation society places on the demographic which places pressure on them to achieve to achievement levels which may be unrealistic for them to live up to. Like, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure what's creating this this place where young men, like, it's like they feel like they're failures and, and they don't know a way out. I kind of go on to write it, and this is what I said. One thing I do know is that our young men need us. They really do. They need the adults in their life to help guide them with their moral compass. They need us to show them the tools like exercise, creative outlets, positive social environments, and self-expression are great ways to deal with our emotions. They need to have an underlying understanding of unconditional love that shows them that they will be loved even when they are not perfect. They need to know that they are that you. Oh, they need to know that they make your life better because of the contact you have with them. They need to be challenged to be a better man. They need all of these things and so much more. When you think about the young men in your life, when you think about, you know, those late teens in your life, what what do you bring to these young men? You know that that 
parent thing. I, I think this is this is a real genuine concern, you know. And as time moves on, it seems that us culturally are becoming more time poor and there's lots of costs of being time poor there's your own loss of health there's you know there's lots of big things but often there's a level of parenting that gets neglected as well because when we're time poor we're often energy poor as well and when your teenager's being hard work and you're time poor and you're you know where's my time for myself in my life sometimes it's easy just to let your teenager go into the room and jump on their playstation and not deal with what may be clearly in front of you. And I wonder if, you know, as you think about yourself as a parent and if you have late teenage men or if you think about, you know, if you were to be honest to yourself, is your own fatigue neglecting you and doing the job that you need to do as a parent to the level that your kid needs you? If you have young men in your life, how can you be that person who who is there for them through this really tough time. Because let's be honest, think back to your teenage years. Now, sure, some teenagers have a pretty great experience, but I think that most of us can agree, it's a pretty suck time in life. Like, I think we can look back on it with rose-tinted glasses. It's funny, one of my friends put a Facebook photo of me and my old friends together, and everyone's going back and going, oh, those are the best times. And, and and really, in some ways, they were. They were fun and they were kind of stupid, adventurous and lots of stuff like that. But as a person, man, I was struggling through those times. And luckily for me, there were a couple adults who, through those times, were just great. And, and were able to teach me some important tools to move me, move me from that time in a really healthy way. And if you think about your own life and you think about those teenage years, did you have some adults who you were able to connect with, who you were able to, who who could allow you to healthily deal with the struggle of that time of your life, in ways that then, when you became an adult, you could become a responsible, healthy adult who you know wasn't destructive to your world. And I look at the young men in our world right now, and and I fear. What adults will these kind of men grow up to become? And what's the cost of their own life and those people around them if they don't learn some really healthy ways to deal with life moving forward? And I don't know if they can do it by themselves. Actually, I guarantee they can't. And I think that we all need to take a level of responsibility to kind of say, hey, in the young men's life that I'm involved with, I'm going to be an adult who... You know, when they spend time with me, they, they, they're going to feel they're a better person. They're going to feel a sense of esteem. I'm going to pull them up on the stuff they need to be pulled up on. I'm going to keep them responsible. I'm going to challenge them. I think that if all of us who are listening to this right now can can be that person, and I don't know I don't know if it has to be a male or a female. I think that some females may be thinking, well, maybe it's the man who needs to do that. There, there probably is a connection that comes with men in that way, but also females can teach a young man about how to teach females. You know, like if we look at porn, you know, and and porn is it is what it is, and um, but there's a lot of education or with a lot of misunderstanding that young men teach because if they watch too much porn, and you know, to have an adult female in a man's life who can teach a young man about how to treat a girl, how to, to respect a female, and, and you know all that kind of stuff. You know, females have an important role to play in this as well. But then there is that stuff that men can do that, you know, that we understand. 
But I suppose why am I talking about this? I know this is off topic, but it's just a man. It's blown my mind away, man. The amount of parents who are coming to me saying, "You know, Bev, can you can you have a talk to my kid about this?" And then when I sit down to these kids, you know, they're stuffing up, but they're not bad kids. Like I was speaking to a kid the other day, and and he he went to the Commonwealth Games as a swimmer. He was an amazing athlete. He was an intelligent kid as well. And now three or four years later, he's he's you know, trouble with alcohol, he, he thinks he might be an alcoholic, uh, he's the kid who's having some problems of violence, uh, he, he left his education because he was failing, but he's not a bad kid, he just doesn't, he hasn't learned how to cope, he hasn't learned these tools, and it's the adults in his life who can really help with that. So if I've got a challenge for you this month, you know, is, is, or just to think about in your life, is, is to look at your young men, and don't look at them as a burden and don't look at them as stupid and don't don't sweep them away when times get tough. Think, how can I be the adult in my young men's life who, when they become an adult, they look back and go, wow, this person made an impact. This person taught me and guided me into become a man that I can be proud of who I am in this world. It's funny, I did a talk at a, a men's school or a high school for boys a while ago, and, and you know, I, the question I kind of presented then was, How do you create a great man? And I don't know what the answer is to that, to be honest. I think that honestly, it's, it's a man who, who doesn't do harm and does good to the world and, and can be himself in the world. And But I don't know if, you know, my answer is the right answer. But ultimately, I, I fundamentally believe that when there's amazing adults around them who know their role and can do their role in really powerful ways then we're creating better men moving forward. So, just some thoughts on that. Maybe something you can think about in your own life and, and look around the young men in your life there. Um, let's get into the interview. So once again, Bart Yeso. Bart Yeso is a bit of a running guru. Uh, been running, you know, since the time when running wasn't even cool and has been a big influence on the running world. And uh, he seems like a pretty great man when you'll hear about as we talk to him throughout this interview. So I'm going to put some music on and then let's get into our interview with Bart. Thank you guys. Well, I'm very happy today to say that I've got a, a, a very popular, famous kind of man within the running world is a guy called Bart Yeso. How are you going, Bart? Hey, I'm doing well, Bevan. How are you? I'm really good. It's I've got up really early in the morning. It's quarter to four or five in the morning, and I'm, as you can see, I've done my hair for you. And uh... <laughs> I, I like it, man. Yeah, it's almost noontime here at the Runners World headquarters in Eastern Pennsylvania. So I, thought, but I know it's quite early for you. No, it's all good. I'm, I'm normally up at five anyway, so it's actually not that much earlier. You know what's like being an athlete. You're often up very early to get your exercise in. So, um, yeah. but for those who don't know much about. Uh, you and your history. Maybe you could just start off just giving us a little bit about your history and um, maybe maybe just in life and then we can go into a little more detail around exercise and things like that. Sure. So I've been running about 38 years, maybe a little bit over 38 years. I somehow got uh, started on this sport in my early 20s, 21, 22 years of age. I got serious about running. Been running ever since. Literally have run all over the world. Uh, races on seven continents, uh, every distance from you know one mile to 146 miles, uh, extreme races, fun races, basically all the, a little bit of everything. And I've been working at Runner's World magazine for the past 28 years. 
Uh, and it's just been a joy to watch this sport explode over this past 38 years since I started. It was pretty much of a, you know, when you talk long distance running, marathons back in the 70s, we were, it was known as the loneliness of the long distance runner. That's mm-hmm. not the case anymore. Now no. it's, uh, you know, so common for people to be out there crossing finish lines of half marathons and marathons and, uh, you know, it's just been a joy to to watch the sport explode over these years. And uh, my title at running at Runner's World is called the Chief Running Officer, which is a pretty cool title. It allows me to work on all facets of the magazine, the website, social media. You know, a little bit of everything we do, whether it's print, digital, or what I like best is on site. Uh, I go to about fifty events a year, and. Wow. Uh, do different things at events. Sometimes I do race announcing, award ceremonies, do a lot of seminars, speak at a lot of pasta dinners. Uh, you know, and of course we do a lot of activation of Runner's World uh, events within an event, mm. such as like Boston Marathon coming up. Uh, so it's a little bit of everything, which I love. But I travel a crazy amount, which is part of the deal. So, uh, But I love traveling, so it all, it all works out. So, but could I ask... You know, like as you're saying, 38 years ago, uh, people who were kind of into the sport, you know, the sport of running, you were kind of seen almost as a little bit strange, really, weren't you? It, it was a different time in regards to long-distance sport. Yeah. You, you could say we were called freaks back then, you know. <laughs> when you said to someone that back in the 1977, you said you're heading out to run, you know, 20 miles or 35K run, you know, they did think you were a freak and when you went out to do those long runs i had a couple running buddies but i did a lot of long runs by myself you know if if you would see another runner it was like oh my god i just saw another runner really you know from the other way it was like a big deal and of course now when i head out for a run i see hundreds of runners and uh you know it's changed so much even even like in big cities i remember running around central park back in the 70s and you would see you know a couple runners because of obviously a large city like new york city but now if you go to central park on the weekend oh my god there's a flow of runners it's just unbelievable how many people are out there enjoying the benefits of the sport of running so so personally what was it that drew you to running originally yeah you know bevan i i look back on it and i always tell people i wish we had cell phones with with a with a camera like we do today because I wish I took a selfie on that first run because I was in cut off jeans with a belt like a Budweiser t shirt and knee high socks. They weren't compression socks like you see today. They were just knee high white socks and a crummy old pair of shoes which I thought were fancy running shoes, but they were not. Uh, but I just wanted I just went out to run a mile just to get in shape and never knowing that I would fall in love with running the way I would and never knowing it would become my job and livelihood and I would run all over the world. After that first run where I covered a mile, if somebody would have said to me, hey, you're going to eventually run all over the world and get a job at Runner's World Magazine, I would have told them they were crazy. Mm. But that's what happened to me. So uh, it's amazing. Thank God I went out and did that first run 38 plus years ago and uh, it's changed my life all to the better. I meet some so many amazing people, and I used to do a fair amount of triathlons back in my younger days too. And I uh, a lot of cycling. I've ridden my bike across the United States by myself twice. Nice thirty-one hundred mile jaunt across the U.S. So 
But, you know, I've done a lot of stuff, but uh, but running is my main focus, you know, working at Runner's World magazine. So for a guy who's exercised for, you know, pretty much, you know, well, my whole adult life, I'm only 37, so you've exercised, you know, a long time in your life. What have been the keys for you to have a long-term kind of passion and um, ability to keep movement as an important part of your life? Yeah, so Bevan, I... I was very lucky. I had very few injuries in my younger days, so I was able to do, you know, we used to train 100 miles a week all the time or 110 miles a week, and my body was able to put up with the rigors of that uh, high training. So I was very lucky, and people always ask me about motivation. I actually was crazy motivated. I actually had to rein myself in and control myself because I would have run 25 miles every day. I would have done 10 miles in the morning and 15 miles a night every day. I used to, you know, follow a specific program so I didn't overtrain. Mm. Uh, so I, I was just crazy motivated, and I just, I just think it's the, for me, it was always that challenge. What I really love about running was the amount of training you do. You, the payoff is when you do a race and those numbers on the clock when you cross the finish line. It's so pure. You're not judged by anybody but yourself. The amount you can push, the amount you can train, the commitment you want to make, and the rewards are crossing that finish line with a personal record or personal best in a specific time. And I just loved that about the sport. And I really didn't look at it that way when I started running. I was just happy to be getting in the shape and all the other benefits of stress release and weight loss and stuff like that. Um, but then I really got into the competitive side of it years ago. And I, I'm not competitive anymore. I still do an occasional race, uh, but I really I'm out there more to, uh, you know, take the sport to the next level and get more people to challenge themselves and to take them from a 10K runner to a marathon runner or a marathon runner to an ultra. And I've done a fair of those ultra races back in my day. So, uh, you know, I really love to have people explore the possibilities of their running career. And I look at running as being a runner for life. And I think that was one of the things that really helped me out. And not only being a runner for life, but also being a runner 24-7. You know, obviously you're not running all the time, but my nutrition and sleep habits, and I really geared everything about around my running regime and that really helped me out to be in the sport as long as I have. Can I ask, you know, like, in my time I've been a competitive athlete myself, and um, yeah, I'm kind of mid to late 30s as, as, you, as you age. What was it like for you to going from being that kind of more guy who's trying to chase that, that highest version of yourself to being a guy where it's more of, not recreational, but it's just not that same level of focus in your life? Is, is, was that a hard thing to let go of? And, and if so, how did you manage that transition? Yeah, I love that question, Bevan, because that's one thing I face all the time when I meet people, you know, and they, they, they want to keep that uh, graph, they want to keep getting faster and keep setting personal best. And, you know, you have a bunch of years where you can do that, but at some point, if you're in this sport a long time, and of course you start to age, I'm going to turn 60 very soon, mm. you slow down. Yeah, I mean, it's inevitable. No one can defy uh, age, you know, there are, there are people that come into the sport late in life and set these amazing records in their 70s and 80s, but very few people set those records that have been running for 30 or 40 years. Yeah. So eventually the body slows down. Uh, you know, I 
when I started slowing down and realized that uh, I couldn't be competitive anymore, I just had so much fun with the sport since then. And I meet so many runners that won't do a race because, you know, they're not fast anymore and they can't handle running slowly or to be in the middle of the pack because they used to be at the front of the pack. I always look at, man, how thank God I have the attitude I have because I had so many amazing experiences running races at the middle of the pack or even towards the back of the pack. You know, it. I still have the passion. I still get the same fun feeling when I cross the finish line. You know, the, the numbers on the clock are just a lot bigger than they used to be. <laughs> but I honestly, I have so much fun with the sport, uh, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, it's inevitable. And, you know, as long as you accept that, uh, you can have you can still have fun with the sport. So it's almost like I evolve my mindset as I stay longer in the sport. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you really have to make those adjustments. And, and you have to make those adjustments in training because you can't, I, you know, almost at turn like I said I'm very soon I'll turn 60 I obviously can't train the way I used to train when I was 25 mm. nah you know it's just uh, but I still like I say I still have the passion and the fun so I I'm excited every time I lace up my shoes and go for a run even if it's just for two miles um, I'm like a kid in a candy shop I just love it you know I, I realize I can't run as fast I can't run as far but I enjoy every step, and I don't take a step for granted. I feel very fortunate that I have the ability to do what I do, and uh, I remind myself of that when I head out for a run. There are some, there are a lot of people that never had the ability to do what we do, and we cannot take it for granted. On, on a personal level, when you think about strategies you've used for success over the years, and we could probably look at this in two ways. Uh, there's a way of when I was at my peak, uh, and then also, you know, and we're now where my mind shifts more about enjoyment and participation of the sport. Mm-hmm. What would have been some of this kind of mind strategies that you've used to to experience your highest level within the sport? Yeah, I always say, you know, I coach a lot of runners, and uh, I always tell people the the things I've learned is what what I coach. I made every mistake humanly possible in this sport in training. <laughs> yeah. And I learned from those mistakes and I didn't make those mistakes again. Uh, so I profess that to the people I coach. I don't want them to make those mistakes. I can I can show them in my training logs and I can actually show them tangible information how I made those mistakes and why they don't work. And then I really try to teach my runners not to make those mistakes. So it's all, it's all about sharing, uh, you know, what, we, what I've learned in doing this for 38 years. And, uh, you know, occasionally I'll get a runner, you know, I train these young guys and, you know, they weren't hitting the fast times I used to hit, but eventually they do. And then someone says, oh, you, you coached them too well. They're now breaking all the PBs, the personal records that you have. And I always say I'm training them correctly because that's what I love. I wish everyone could break all my personal best and personal records. It's not that's not what our sport's about. It's about sharing and learning and encouraging others. And that's uh, you know I feel so lucky to be in a position to be able to do that. And as a as a coach and as someone who works with other people, what are the keys that actually when what do you think actually helps people to perform at their best? Like what? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you that at the hardest thing is to convince, convince people. If they run slower, they will become faster. But if you run slower on those recovery days, those easy days, you will run faster on the quality days, the days you're doing a track workout or a tempo run or a long run. 
And running slower on those recovery days will allow you to run faster on those quality days, which will allow you to race faster. Mm. Uh, but it's hard to get people to slow down. They think that, you know, every run should be fast. And, uh, you know, I always tell people every run should have a purpose and a meaning. Mm. And sometimes they think then that every run should be a fast workout. And that's not what it is. A, a meaning or a purpose of a run could be, I ran really hard yesterday. Today's run is going to be so easy. I'm going to take off my watch or my GPS and just leave it in my home and just go out and look at the flowers and look at the trees and run so easy. Or I'm going to run with somebody who's new to the sport and uh, they'll slow me down a little because they're not as fit as I am and I can you know, spread the love of the sport. Anything you could do to slow yourself down on those recovery days. Once I convince people into doing that, they, they stay injury-free and then they get it. They start to race faster and run faster, and then they understand what, what I'm, where I'm coming from. But it is counterintuitive to say to somebody, if you run slower, you will run faster. Mm. Uh, I, I understand why they fight it, but eventually, uh, you know, they get it. But the big, biggest mistake people make is running too fast on those recovery days, running that long run a little too fast. You have to really back off on that pace on the long run because the long run is just about endurance. Mm. It's not about speed. And then uh, and then if you can do that, you'll stay injury-free, which is the big thing. Stay injury-free and be consistent. You will set these records that you never thought possible. And that that's really what it's all about. It's not that complicated. It's a pretty simplistic sport. I find people make it complicated. And I find people sometimes... I love the technology that we have today that we didn't have in the old days, you know, GPS, heart rate monitors, uh, all the kinds of runner food that are out there, everything you can use to your advantage. But I always tell people, don't let the technology control your running. You know, mm -hmm. Use it to your advantage, not your disadvantage. I hear people, you know, their, their GPS stops, so they stop running because, you know, they're going to run 18, but their GPS stopped at 12, so they stop because it's not recording. Yeah. <laughs> they say, I can't go out and run without a watch because when I go out and run, it, I have it set up that it automatically uploads to Facebook, and then everyone knows I'm out running. And I'm like, I'm glad you upload your workouts to Facebook, <laughs> but you don't have to do that. So, yeah. Like, you can still go out and run. I know I've run you know, over 100,000 miles before Facebook was ever invented. So yeah. I know it's possible. But, you know, that's that thing. Use the technology to your advantage, not your disadvantage. Don't let it control your running. You know, still have that, you know, understand why you're going out to run, whether it's because it's a recovery run or a speed workout or a tempo run or just to go out and enjoy. And I And the other thing I try to do is get away from exact mileage, the exact, you know, 10K run or 6-mile run or 10-mile run or 15K, and sometimes just go out and say, okay, 30 minutes, I got this time, 30 minutes, just go out and enjoy a nice, easy 30-minute run. Sometimes when we go by time instead of mileage, we tend to run the way our body feels, which mm -hmm. is a very good thing. Because uh, some days you have it and some days you don't. Some days, you know, whether it's lack of sleep or stress from your job or stress from family, whatever it is, sometimes gets in the way and you just don't have a good run because you're so distracted. Mm -hmm. And if you're going based on time versus mileage, I get people that seem to have better runs and it really works to their advantage. 
dealing with new people is, 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 a, is a challenge for you know coaches and people who are trying to get people moving uh, mainly because how do you get them to get to understand the passion of movement uh, what have been the keys for you in getting people who maybe haven't had a passion for exercise or who've never exercised to actually get a sustainable exercise habit yeah, that, that's my favorite thing to do when I could come into my office every day and say, okay, I'm going to find a group of people or a handful of people that aren't a runner today, and by the end of the day, they're going to be a runner. Mm-hmm. And that, that's that challenge. How do you convince somebody that the sport is beneficial to them and that they are a runner? They just don't know it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is about challenging them, you know, saying, okay, trust me, you can finish this 5K race, this 10K race. But you got to start somewhere, and that's where I say just literally don't don't worry about the distance. Uh, just go out and run from here to a set point. Slow yourself down, enjoy it, and then eventually you'll get into a groove, and you can add on mileage. And or if you're doing time, you can go from a 10 minute run to a 20 minute run to a 30 minute run. Uh, but I just I challenge people. I know they can do it. Uh, I just tell them you you, you don't. Have, they don't know how fun the running community is. They don't know how infectious it is until they're immersed in the running community. So I know if, if I can get them out there, if I can get them to do a race, the running community takes over, and then I can just step away and, and watch them flourish and stick to the sport and have fun with it. Because uh, when you go to that, you know, that step from when you do that first race, when you first commit to signing up for a race and you pin that bib number on, that's when it running goes to a whole new level mm-hmm. and you know runners think okay i'll finish a 5k run or a 10k run but i'm never going to do a marathon and then you know six months later they're emailing me hey which marathon should i do for my first marathon you know because yeah. and i know what happened they did that first race they got immersed in the running community the running community is such a fun group of people and an encouraging group of people and an inclusive group of people and then they get hooked and then they want to do that marathon or half marathon, whatever they choose to do. You know, I'm not about pushing people. I don't want, uh, you know, but I do want, I do like that word to challenge people. I'm not, I'm not telling everyone to run a 100-mile race someday or, you know, do 20 marathons. Some people just, one marathon in their life is a, you know, is a true accomplishment and they, they get it done and, and uh, you know, they get to wear that, you know, whatever Milburn Marathon shirt on the rest of their life. I mean, it's pretty cool. So, so you're kind of saying there's a few things. Is that like if we talked about your own career, it was very much you were driven by the, the higher self when you're at your peak, whereas for the newer person, it's very much the challenges just to get, get involved. And if anything, you're not really yeah. pushing them towards that kind of higher self challenge yet that will come. <laughs> uh, that, it's, yeah. that it's important that they have people around them who are going to support them um, and they're looking for kind of believable steps for growth yeah i totally you know if i was driving down the road and i saw a runner go by that you know looks like me i would say wow that person looks like they're in pain you know they got like a pained look on their face and they don't look happy uh but they don't know that i'm not in pain and i'm extremely happy yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, you know it's just the vision you have you know when you push yourself you do have that strained look and you know that sweat coming off your brow but that's what we love Mm. and you know and that's these people can be that person if they really wanted to but you you know today there's so many running groups and that's where things have 
that's why our sport has grown to what it is today. It's the social aspect of it. It's mm. uh, groups getting together to run, whether they're running from a running store or a, a running club. Uh, and then they go there and they realize that, okay, I, I fit in here. You know, not everyone is a, you know, five foot ten, 135 pounds like I am, you know. You know, you see someone who's six foot tall, 200 pounds, just like them, or if they're, you know, five foot six, whatever, okay. you know, they, they realize it's not all a bunch of whippets out there running. There's people of all sizes and all cultures out there enjoying the sport. And that's what, once they realize that, then they're hooked. So, so it's almost like it's important for the people looking to move towards uh, an exercise kind of routine like running uh, to, to understand how their perceptions are limiting them from going to the, ex- to the groups that can help them achieve their goal. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would have felt the same way when I started running. If somebody said, hey, there's a running group that's meeting, you know, at 2 o'clock today, I would have said, oh, I'm not a runner. I can only run one mile, you know, and I just started this stuff. But mm. I was a runner. I just didn't know it. And I hear people say that all the time. They come to me and say, well, I'm not really a runner. And then I find out they run four days a week and run 25 miles every week. They've yeah. done 20 races. And I go, what do you mean you're not a runner? And they, you know, they think like someone who wins races or, you know, that's a runner. And yeah. it's not. There are, you know, <laughs> some people run faster than others. That's inevitable. Uh, even the best in the world get beat at a race someday. You yeah. don't worry about that. You just... Do uh, you know? Stick to what you're, what you can do, and and have fun with it. I do find that fascinating. I do find that fascinating. Of when it's a crossover point where I self-identify as the thing that I actually am in the positive way. So you you see a lot of people who. Uh, you know, uh, who've never exercised in their life, and and they'll start something like a run program, and, and they will be that they, they would have done it for six months or even longer, and they have consistency with their exercise routine, but they still haven't self-identified. And, and once you can get to that self-identification point, I, I believe that that's a, a big part of when it becomes a sustainable thing that you'll do for a long time. And it's how do you yeah. cross over to that to see that within themselves? Yeah. You know, so yeah, that that. You're exactly right. I mean, that's where they get this confidence, you know, but you got to get them into that to that mold that they understand they are a runner and they can do this and they're actually limiting themselves on what they can accomplish because I was the same way. I mean, I think everyone was. Mm. You, know, you just don't think uh, you could be that good. But I can tell you this, I, you know, I know a lot of Olympic medalists in running. Gold medalists, silver medalists, bronze medalists, they... The one thing they all have in common when I talk to them and find out their story is they all knew at a young age they wanted to be in the Olympics and they were convinced they could win an Olympic medal. Really? Now, most people just don't have that mindset at 12 years of age or 14 years of age, but these people did. So if people, the average person can just take that mindset that, hey, I'm going to just stick with this that I can get up to running six miles or you know, uh, 10 kilometers every day comfortably or every other day. Uh, if they if they think of it that way, they will get there. But you just have to uh, you have to think that way and, and understand that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Mind is powerful. If you tell if you tell yourself, if you convince yourself you can't do it, you're not going to be able to do it. But if you can convince yourself you can do it, you will do it. Mm. You know, like in dealing with new people. 
you know, like it, it seems like I've never really met you, but but it seems pretty obvious that you're you're one of those guys who sees the glass half full. You're, you're quite positive. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. If, there, if there's a drop of water in my glass, it's overflowing. Yeah, I, I'm about the positive. I, I don't understand negative lifestyle or negative comments. I'm all about glass half full. Yeah, totally. And and, and I can see why that's had a, a really positive effect on your life. You know, it seems like you've achieved a lot, and that comes probably a lot from that mindset you have. When, when you you know, there is uh, a lot of people who come into the movement or into exercise and they are just kind of that glass half empty person who's kind of has that negative perception, uh, everything's always against them, everything's always a struggle. When you've dealt with people like that, because I'm sure you have had people you've dealt with like yep, that. I have. Uh, what have been the keys to help them overcome that mindset and um, and get them to a point where that no longer is limiting them? Yeah, I I've, I get that all the time, and a lot of times I get that with people that are very healthy, have a lot going for them, nothing going against them, and mm. you know it's just literally their negative thoughts and and comments and the the negative process they take actually limits to what they can do, and I take those people and I share a lot of stories that made it in the pages of Runner's World, a lot of books that I've read on people that have overcome so much. You know, people doing Iron Man on prosthetic limbs. Mm. And, you know, there are so many stories in our sport. You know, when you think about the people that do running races in a wheelchair, which happens at every big race in America, uh, you know, it is technically more like bike racing. So they're in like a chair with wheels. Mm. But bike racing didn't want them. Running accepted them. Mm. And I've been watching wheelchair racers since the 70s at the Boston Marathon. And it is the most motivating thing because here's people that have all the reasons not to go out there. You know, if you're paralyzed from the waist down and, you know, how can you consider yourselves, a, you know, a runner? But they actually do because they finished the Boston Marathon or the LA Marathon or, you know. And that's, you know, when I get these people to realize how lucky they are physically to do what we do. I can get them to change their attitude and realize uh, we're the lucky ones and we cannot, as I said earlier, take it for granted. We can go out there and enjoy what we're physically able to do, get rid of all those negative thoughts. So it's almost uh, explore other people who have overcome the limiters that you see in yourself. Yeah. I mean, I share books. You know, Sarah Reinertson comes to mind, the first woman who did the uh, Hawaii Ironman on a prosthetic leg and... Matt Long, who's a gentleman who was literally run over by a bus and no one could ever thought he lived, and he has a lot of physical problems from being mangled from being under a bus. And he did the Ironman and finished, you know, New York City Marathon after he had this tragedy happen to him. And when you when you read their books and read their stories, it's like, wow, I got no excuses. I got to get out the door and and get out there and run. Yeah. And that's you know that those are. I really, I, I steer everyone towards those stories, but I really steer those people that have that, you know, just everything's a negative, everything they can't do. And, you know, after they read some of those stories, they realize they got all the facilities, they got no, they have no excuses, they got to just push themselves a little bit. Well, as a, as, a, as a coach, what would you say is, you know, you, earlier you said, I love sharing um, the insight that I've gained so that people don't make the mistakes that I've made um, and, and yeah. you know I can make that kind of their growth trajectory a lot shorter if they don't have to make those mistakes what what would be outside of running as in like mind strategies that you would say are really good strategies people can use to be successful with exercise 
Yeah, the mind is so powerful. You know, when I, I, I mentioned earlier, I did a 146-mile race in, in extreme conditions in Says a place called Death Valley, <laughs> you know, where it was 123 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, yeah. which is hot, like 51 Celsius, some crazy. Uh, but anyway, they, you know, I learned so much that in that race because I don't know why, I, you know, I stood at the starting line and I said to myself, okay, I'm going to run the first 175 miles without stopping just because I, I don't know why I said that. And that's exactly what I did. I ran to the 75-mile mark and there was a sign that said you're at 75 miles and I took a little break. And I didn't have to take a break. I just did because I told myself that. And then I started running again. I said, okay, I'm running 50 miles without stopping. And I ran to the 125-mile mark, and I knew I just covered 50 miles, and I took a break. And then I went on to finish 146 miles. But what I should have said at the start of that race is I'm running 146 miles without stopping because I was physically in good enough shape to do that. Mm. When I look back and when I stopped, I didn't have to stop. I stopped because I told myself I should stop. And that's that mind thing. So, you know, I, I, I push myself, especially back in my, you know, my younger days, I push myself mentally to challenge myself. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I started running, I didn't realize that. I had to learn that, that you don't achieve unless you believe. If you don't believe, no one else is going to believe. I mean, you've got to be the first one in believing what you can achieve mm. and set these goals and then dream and think these goals. Mm. And that goals could be just whatever, you know, within what I would call setting an attainable goal based on your physical ability. You know, that could be just breaking four hours on the marathon someday or qualifying for Boston or just finishing a marathon someday. Mm. So it's all about what goal is attainable for you but it is but it should be a goal that when you first start out you don't think you could do it Mm, mm. but eventually you prove to yourself that uh well maybe i could do it and then you say those words i can do it and then start the training and start believing and then the mind takes over and then you achieve those goals what was it like to do that race? You know, like what, what just the internal experience to like, can <laughs> you, you know, talk so us through it? Because it's, it's like, like for most people, yeah. When I when I look back on that race, I remember getting to the hundred mile mark and thinking, "Wow, there's only forty six miles to go. That's a piece of cake." Really? Now, if you told me, "Hey, Bart, you got to run forty six miles today," I'd be like, "Oh my god, I'm not going to make a forty six miles." <laughs> back then, I was I was in pretty good shape, and I knew you know I I could run that kind of distance, but that's the mindset I had. I mean, I you know, after I covered 146 or 100 miles, 46 miles was nothing. Like it was really easy. Mm. Uh, you know, and again, I I trained a lot of miles back then. I I, uh, <laughs> I was willing to do it. I wanted to do it, and I I knew I could do it. Mm. Uh, but it's but that's that you know that mindset that you take. Uh, you know, and I, I wish everyone was a glass half full person because we don't need negativity. We should all be, uh, you know, I get, I think that glass half full gets me in trouble every once in a while because I, I think I can do more than humanly possible. Yeah. Uh, but I really, I would rather have that happen than, you know, never realizing my potential or never realizing I could do races all over the world and never realizing I could be the chief running officer at Runner's World and have a great job and meet people every weekend and get inspired by their stories. Yeah. You know, when I when I go around to events and, I, and they ask me to do 
seminars and talks, you know, the day before the race to get everyone motivated. And, you know, I don't, I tell the story of Bart Yasso, but not, it's not a story of Bart Yasso. It's a story how running changed Bart Yasso and what he was able to do after he committed to running. Mm. That's the true story. It's mm. really, it is my story because obviously I know my story best. I can't tell someone else's story as well as I can tell my own story. But it's more a story on the power of running than it is a Baryasso story. Mm, oh, I, I totally agree. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of the whole idea of that you become a better person uh, when you learn to have exercise in a way that develops you in life. You know, then you reflect and you kind of put those lessons into to other parts of your life, which helps you achieve bigger things, doesn't it? Yeah, I totally agree. I always say. Uh, you know, I know I can't run as far as I used to or as fast as I used to, but when I just go out and run a few miles, I know I like myself better after I come back from that run. So I know if I like myself better, I think everyone around me likes me a little bit better. You just have a better attitude and feel good about yourself, and then you spread that love throughout the community. Uh, just, I was having a discussion with a lady a while ago who's a bit of a wise woman, and she was talking about kind of men and how... Um, uh, when we think about, if you look at the man's journey, there's this kind of stage where we have to prove we're the warrior. Uh, the, the whole idea of, you know, mm. making our mark on the world, and, and you know, running is for a lot of people that that marker that they need to make. They need to prove that they can get to Boston, or they need to prove that they're going to do a, a sub four hour marathon, and that that whole kind of obsession to prove yourself to the world. And we see achieve these goals and set these kind of hard markers which is kind of proving that we were the warrior and and it sounds like you've had that stage in your career but then she talks about she talked about how for her it was then you know you you watch men and some guys can never let go of being the warrior and in some ways it it gets to the point where they get a bit restricted but then the 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 better path for uh the man in particular as she was talking about this day was that ultimately you should then become the wise man and the wise man is about using their energy to develop and and make the world a better place for others and it seems like um just listening to your story you've you've kind of done that path uh what has been the reward of shifting your energy into helping others and why is that so great yeah you know that obviously it it is the best part of my job. I mean, I just love meeting other runners and hearing their stories and uh, to think I still be can be engaged in this sport after all these years. I, you know, if I wasn't working at Runner's World magazine, I wouldn't be engaged in the sport of running as I am. Mm. Uh, so that, you know, that's what keeps me alive and, you know, this hearing other people, uh, you know, meeting other people and really hearing their stories. And, you know, I don't know... I, I don't think I had this blueprint that said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have this competitive side of me, and then when you know I hit this age, I'm going to go like, okay, I'm going to worry about everybody else. I, I didn't have that blueprint. It kind of just happened. And, uh, you know, I, 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 do, I had a lot of uh, failures in my life, but if I were to credit myself with some success, I was able to realize uh, the position I was in and the power that I had through the pages of Runner's World or the Runner's World website or social media. And I, and I, you know, I want to use that all in a positive manner and motivate and excite people and engage people. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to grasp that, uh, you know, and, uh, and had a lot of fun with it. And to think that, you know, I'm still doing it and still having fun with it, because that's one question I get all the time. People say to me, you've been traveling all over for 28 years don't you get tired of it and 
my answer is no. I absolutely still love it. And it is what I love about it. You know, I, the, the rigors of travel are arduous. There's no doubt about it. Mm. I mean, I get warned being in the hotels and airports and, yeah, you know, tough. one plane after the other. It, it wears you out. But everything is good when I get to the event and meet all these people and hear some of these amazing stories. I forget all about the rigors of travel and, you know, get to look in their eyes. And that that's why I say my favorite part of my job is to go to events and physically meet these people and, uh, you know, hear all these stories and, and get motivated by them. And it's, uh, it's exciting. And I'm telling you, there's so many people that overcome so much, the odds are against them just to get to the starting line, let alone get to the finish line. I mean, when you go to a race and meet people that are actively being treated for cancer, that had a radiation chemotherapy treatment on Friday and on Sunday they're at the start of a marathon. Yeah. Man, how do, you know, yeah. these people are amazing to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I see that every weekend. Yeah. You know, I use that cancer one as an example, but, you know, there's many other things that happen in life, a loss of a loved one, you know, something something that they're dealing with. And, and you can see those stories. I'm at finish lines for a lot of hours every weekend, and, I can see those people cross the finish line and they just break down into tears and something really, they were out there for other reasons than themselves. They were out there to either prove something or to get over something or survive something. And, and when I cross that finish line, they realize they've done it and they literally break down in tears. Yeah, you I always can... say there's no, there's no crying and running until you cross the finish line. And then, you know, if you did something that you never thought possible or you're, you know, finish this marathon, overcome a loss of a loved one or survive cancer, then, man, you can cry all you want in the, in the finish area, <laughs> you know, because that's, that's, it's a celebration, that finish line, you know, that took the guts to go to the starting line, you get to that finish line, it's, it's all about your celebration, it doesn't matter if you won the race or finished the last person crossing the line, I mean, you finish, that's truly what the sport is all about. Mm-hmm. It, 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 uh, yeah, that's you're pretty fortunate to have that kind of um, be there at the moment of meaning for people is a pretty special thing. Uh, just just on that point that you said, I travel a lot. Now, for most people, travel is when they lose all their routine and, and their life kind of goes to mustard. You know, like they tend to eat yeah. crap, they uh, exercise falls off the wagon. What are the, some tips that you can give around travel that are, you know? Because a guy who's travelled for so long. You've obviously learned how to have routine within unroutine times. Um, yeah. How do you? What, what's some tips you can pass on from that? Yeah. These days, I wear compression when I travel. I love to wear compression socks. It really helps my legs when I get to a place after a long flight. You know, it helps with the blood flow, and I feel so much better mm. when I get somewhere and change all these time zones. I immediately adjust to that time zone. I never talk about what time it is at home. I live in the moment yeah. and adjust to, okay, it's this time of the day, I'm going to have lunch or dinner, whatever it is, and you get in that groove right away. Uh, I know some people who never change the time on their watch from where it is at home, and they always think they're at home, and that's not, you have to live in that moment, because mm. uh, then you'll get adjusted to the time zone you're in. Mm. And then the other thing, I don't get flustered when you know flights get canceled everything that goes wrong in travel i just roll with the punches it's it, people that look at you know people that go crazy when a flight gets canceled i go you know i think i think if this flight got canceled it's probably like the 500th flight i've been on that been canceled you do you know it's just 
it's just part of what goes on in travel. You can't get upset. You know, I know most of the people that get upset are people that are infrequent travelers, and they think everything goes the way it says. This plane leaves at, you know, yeah. 3 o'clock, and that's what it does. It's just not the case. It's a crazy uh, industry, the way it works, and you just you go with the flow. I always have a lot of books to read. I can always occupy myself. Of course, they were very lucky to get onto the Internet. At most to- most uh, airports in the U.S. have free Wi-Fi, and it's a joy to occupy your time staying up to date on everything. So I, uh, you know, I just make sure I have ways to occupy myself if I am stuck for hours or a couple hours or half a day, whatever happens. And I, I just never get crazy about it. I just roll with the punches, and uh, you know, eventually you get to where you're supposed to be, and it all works out. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's very much having an accepting, relaxed attitude. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, stuff's inevitable. You know, there's not airplanes just sitting around, and this one has a mechanical problem. They just can't grab another one and put it in there. they got to fix the problem. And, you know, delays are just part of the deal. But um, just, just the final question for you. Oh, no, actually, I've got two questions for you. First question is, for someone listening to this today, um, and maybe they aren't into exercise, what would be your, your one piece of advice? I'm sorry, say that again, Ben? Uh, for someone listening today who, who maybe isn't into exercise, uh, what right. would be your one piece of advice? Yeah, so if you're not into exercise, uh, you know, I, I always encourage people, if you've never done any exercise, I would start out by going to a doctor and make sure you physically can exercise, just to, like, you know, get the, get the uh, go-ahead from yep. a doctor. And then just start somewhere. Don't, you know, they think of a runner. They think of what they see on TV, that someone has to run fast. And that's the exact opposite. You've got to just cover some distance. Pick out a, you know, from here to the other side of town or from here to a beautiful park that you know of. Whatever it is, just cover that distance. Start somewhere. Hmm. Throw in walk breaks. Whatever you got to do to cover that distance, make it happen. And then eventually you'll see your improvement because that's the beauty of running you if you stick to it you're going to continuously see improvement and that's going to get you excited but you have to get out the door you got to start somewhere mm-hmm. and you start at the literally just covering some distance don't worry about the, how far it is just get out there and get moving mm-hmm. and then eventually if you can get involved in a running club that is going to really help you out tremendously because there's a lot of resources out there and, of course, at Runner's World Magazine, our website has tons of information to get you going and you know, a, lot of, a lot of info to get started once you have started to, if you want to do your first race or wherever you are. We have lots of uh, content to share with you. Awesome. But this last question, um, I'm, I'm always fascinated in the idea of what kind of influence am I on the world. I, I, I think um, it's a really good question to explore in life is, is what impact or what when others spend time with me or when others have contact for my work or, or things like that, what, what do they walk away from that with? Uh, for yourself, what do, would you like to think has been the influence you've had on the world and uh, why is that important to you? Yeah, well, I, you know, if I could walk away from anything, it would be that you know, I've turned somebody into a runner that never thought it was possible. I mean, that's the stuff that really excites me. And I've trained... I've done stuff at drug rehabilitation centers where people have uh, committed a crime and a lot of times drugs have been their big problem and now they're in a rehab center. And I go into these rehab centers and tell them, you're going to come out and run with me. 
mm-hmm. and I get them to do a race. And, uh, you know, there's uh, in Pennsylvania, we have an Amish community, which, you know, they really separate themselves from the rest of the world mm. and live without electricity and without indoor plumbing and all the stuff that, that we that we have. And uh, I actually got a whole Amish community out there running. Now, not just myself, but I did. There were a a few Amish runners and they asked me to come out and run with them and they asked me to speak to the Amish community and the benefits of running. And now I, when I go out to this uh, Amish community, which is about 25,000 Amish, wow, there's Amish people running everywhere, young <laughs> kids, young Amish kids, and they all know me. They all go, hey, that's the running guy, Mr. Yasso. He was the one who told us we should run. And man, when I, when I hear that, I get so excited to think that this little community of uh, 25,000 Amish running is now a big part of their culture and I've played a little bit of a role in that man it really excites me and I don't like to you know I'm not a braggadocious person at all but uh, you know I committed to going out to that community and showing how running changed my life telling my story and what I think running could do for them and it really caught on mm-hmm. and also uh, they put on a big half marathon in this Amish community and I think the running community played a role because the Amish like seeing the other runners and realizing that, uh, you know, when we run, we're no different. You know, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Even though the difference would be the Amish, when they run, they have on long wool black pants and a white cut <laughs> and button-up shirt and suspenders, but they can run fast. Yeah. You know, like I've seen, I've seen Amish guys in full-on Amish gear run you know like a 115 half marathon on a warm day full on long black wool pants so uh you know (laughs) it's it's amazing to me uh you know what the what the potential is and to really to get people healthy that's really and that's my big push not only you know to use running to your benefit to make a better life a healthier life uh, that's hopefully that's uh, what I try to accomplish every day, and uh, you know I, I've proved I literally have tangible evidence that that I am doing that. So it's kind of fun to physically see that happen. It's pretty cool. I, I, just one comment there. I, I, I love how exercise running. You know, all types of exercise. There's no class. You know, like it's all people. Yes. You know, I love that about that about movement. Yeah. You know, there is no class. Yeah, you can have. I, I love that. We you know it, it's funny when I when I train that. Uh, that group of uh, drug rehab runners that I had who were habitual criminals. So mm. they were only in drug rehab because they were sent to prison three times. Wow. And they were told the only way to get parole is after they were paroled, they had to pass this drug rehab program. Uh, and so when I got those those uh, runners or to commit to running, and then I trained with them, and then I got them into this race, there was a, guy, a gentleman who called me up. Uh, the day after the race and thanked me for doing that. And it turns out he was a local judge. Oh, really? And he actually sentenced a lot of these runners. Wow. Like he was the guy that said they had to serve one to two years and then do this drug rehab. And he told me because of legal reasons he couldn't come up and introduce himself. Uh, But he was so excited because he could physically see that uh, these people were proud of the changes they made and that they want to live a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And when you get a call like that, and, and actually uh, some of those uh, rehabilitated runners I, I met later in life, and they actually did change. They they're, you know have a family and have a good job, and they look back on that running like, 
you know, that could have been that one thing that pushed him in the right direction versus the wrong direction. Yeah. Very, very cool. Hey, Bart, thank you so much for your time. I'm sure uh, the listeners actually loved hearing from you. If if the people want to follow you, you've got a website, bartyasso.com. Bartyasso.com. I'm very active on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And, you know, if you just Google Bartyasso, all that stuff comes up. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Um, You're a legend. You've also got a book out. What's the name of the book? Yeah, that my book is called My Life on the Run, which is literally, you know, my life on the run. Yeah. It is written as a memoir. It tells my crazy story along with a bunch of chapters of crazy races that I've done and it's a it's it's meant as a fun read. It tells a serious story in the first couple of chapters and then turns into a fun read and there's some uh uh training schedules in there if people want to follow that stuff. So I'll put a link to that on my website and in this week's show notes. Um, but thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're an absolute rock star and uh, keep up the great work. You're having a big impact on your world. Hey, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to share with everyone. And that's what it's all about, getting that word out there and spreading the love. Thank you so much. Right, team, and there, there you go. There's my interview with Bart. Yes, so he was a pretty, uh, pretty nice man, wasn't he? He was, he was just one of those guys. I think Bart really showed to me the importance of attitude, isn't he? You know, it's interesting when you hear people who just kind of have that "I can do it" attitude. You know, life's for living kind of attitude. And I really just really loved his attitude. Hopefully, you got some insight there, and hopefully, he inspired you in some way, shape, or form. Uh, just so you know, once again, as I was saying at the start of the show. I'm going to be releasing the next show in two weeks from now. Now, I know I haven't necessarily released this week's show on the Monday, purely because I was just trying to get this patron page set up, and it took a little bit longer than I thought. So what you can know from here forward is pretty much every two Mondays now, I'll be releasing the Fitness Behaviour Podcast. Once again, every second time, it will just be me kind of letting my thoughts out, and then every other time after that, it'll be an interview with somebody who has something to do with fitness that I feel can add value to your world. Um, you know, it may not even be fitness because like I've had Carol DeWeek on the show and, and I wouldn't mind trying to get Martin Seligman on the show, trying to get some of the real great thinkers and, you know, maybe things like psychology and just fields that can really make us think about how can we cross over the lessons from this person and bring them into my life. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully you'll be able to enjoy lots of the interviews that I move going forward. Once again, team, I have got my Patreon page. I really would appreciate it if you'd be able to give some level of financial support to that. Give as little as you can or as much as you can. Um, just whatever. And if you can't, I don't mind. You know, if you can't and you, you just don't have the financial, um, you know, the means to be able to support the show in that way, just keep, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep listening and hopefully I can keep helping you achieve your goals if anything spread the word about the show put a facebook post up when i put the show out tell your friends and family that you know this is a good show that's worth listening to it's all just about getting and helping more people um anything else not really i think i'm going to wrap it up there because it's maybe what i'll do is i'll do the questions and answers on the months on the show that i don't have the interview because the interviews will obviously be quite a little bit longer in the show so maybe i'll do it that way um other than that i think that's pretty much me for this month guys i'll see you guys in two weeks i'm I'm used to saying month i need to sort that out oh one, one piece of news that's kind of exciting um a TV show. I've, I've kind of wanted to get a TV show made for the last few years, and this year I've made it my goal to kind of make it happen. And uh, I'm very much in the early stages of getting a TV show made. I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the show already, but um, 
it's very, very early stages, but the production company seems to be very keen on my idea. So fingers crossed you'll hear more about that as time moves forward. But anyway, um, that's pretty much me for this month. I'll rock on and uh, keep looking after those young men. And uh, again, if you want to get the show notes or patron, check out bevanjamesiles.com. You guys rock. I'll see you soon. Thank you.